This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching today, and especially are we delighted to have those watching for the very first time. Thank you for tuning in. Now today on our telecast, we're going to discuss a subject that is uh, rooted in the Old Testament. And I'm going, we want to discuss this topic, when God saw the blood. When God saw the blood. I hope you'll stay tuned. Now, we offer a free Bible correspondence course, and may I emphasize that it is free. For the benefit of those of you that are watching today for the first time, we'd like to uh, let you know more about the course, and also we'd like for you to know how to receive this Bible course. So why don't we pause now for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational, it's based on the Bible, it's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm reading now from the twelfth chapter of Exodus, beginning in verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. That's from reading Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 to 14. The children of Israel were enslaved in the land of Egypt for many, many years. During that period of time, they began to cry out to God for deliverance from their bondage. And God heard their cries. And God selected a man by the name of Moses to become the leader and to become the deliverer of his people from that bondage. And at first, Moses tried to make all kinds of excuses as to why he did not want to go. But finally, Moses went with his brother Aaron before Pharaoh and began to to plead with Pharaoh to let the people go. But the Bible tells us that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he refused to let the people go. But finally, God brought Ten plagues on the land of Egypt. And after God brought the tenth plague, 
Pharaoh let the people go. And those were very devastating plagues that he brought on the land. But the tenth plague, the final plague, was the one that, that broke Pharaoh's heart. God instructed his people to go out into the midst of their flock to find a lamb that was a year old without blemish. Because God had, and, and he was, they were to put that upon the lintel and the doorpost of their houses. Because God had determined that he was going to destroy the firstborn of both man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. But every house that would have that blood on the door would be spared the death of their firstborn. And I suppose that there were those that questioned the logic of putting blood on the door. But those who did what God told them to do were spared the death of their firstborn. You see, when God saw the blood on the door, their firstborn did not die. God has always, in different ages, used blood in dealing with His people. In this particular case, God used blood to bring about the temporal deliverance of His people. But when we come to the New Testament, we also find that God used blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats. Because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, according to Hebrews 10, verses 3 and 4. But he used blood of his son. Jesus Christ came into this world and he lived some 30 plus years, finally was taken by lawless men, crucified, killed upon the cross of Calvary. And his blood was shed for the salvation of the world. God saw that blood. He saw his son dying on that cross. He heard him as he would cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He heard him as he would say, I thirst. And when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he said, It is finished. When God saw the blood, God abrogated the old law. Picture Jesus on that cross. And picture Jesus dying for the sins of the whole human family. Dying for your sins and for mine. But when Jesus shed that blood, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ blotted out the old law.
There had been promise made of a new law. For example, in Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, beginning in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross that he gave that law. Colossians 2.14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, taking it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, Jesus' blood abrogated that law. When God saw the blood of Jesus, the old law was done away. Go back to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. After verse 14 where he says he nailed it to the cross, Verse 15 says, Having disarmed principalities and power, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Let no man judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. You see, the law given by Moses served its purpose. Well, what was its purpose? Galatians 3, 24 and 25, to bring us to Christ. The law was, a, was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was our tutor to bring us to Christ. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under that schoolmaster. And Jesus Christ has now come. And we have, we're justified by faith in Christ, Romans 5 and 1. And therefore, we are no longer under the law of Moses. We're not subject to that law today. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, and in verse 1, Paul said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And that yoke of bondage was the old law. And then in verse 2, he said, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you be Come circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. 
We become estranged from God when we try to go back to that old law. We're not subject to that law today, but rather we are subject to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when God saw the blood, he did away with the old law, abrogated that law, abolished that law. But let's notice another thing. When God saw that blood, the New Testament was ratified. In Matthew, the 26th chapter, in verse 28, Jesus said, This is my blood. This is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for many for the remission of sins. The blood of Jesus not only did away with the Old Testament, the blood of Jesus ratified the New Testament. I want to call your attention to some passages in the ninth chapter of Hebrews, verse 15 and following. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, that is the law of Moses. And so Jesus died for the transgressions that were under the first covenant, that those who were called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance, for a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. And so Jesus Christ died, and in so doing, his blood ratified or sealed the new testament. And the blessings of salvation that you and I receive today are not upon the conditions that are found in the Old Testament, but rather they are based upon the conditions that are found in the New Testament, ratified by Jesus' blood. Sometimes people write and they say, Brother Lambert, what about the thief on the cross? Wasn't the thief saved without being baptized? First of all, I'd say that I believe the thief went with Jesus in paradise. Because the Lord said today you'll be with me in paradise. And furthermore, the, we have no way of knowing whether the thief had been baptized by John the Baptist or not. I, I find it rather interesting that he knew a great deal about the kingdom. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But nonetheless, that's not what we need to understand. We need to understand that that thief lived and died while the Old Testament was still enforced and in effect. He lived and died under that testament. That testament of Christ by which you and I live today and by which we shall be judged in the after while is, contains all of the conditions of salvation and that thief did not live under that testament. He lived under the Old Testament. So the blood of Jesus Christ ratified the New Testament. But then when God saw the blood, the church became a reality. God had been planning for the church since eternity. It was in his purpose in eternity. Listen to Ephesians 3, verse 10, verse 11. 
to the intent now that under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church was in the purpose of God. When was it in his purpose? It was in his eternal purpose. There's never been a time that he did not have it in mind. And God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And that was the fulfillment of predictions and prophecies made in the Old Testament. For example, in Genesis 3.15, I will put amnity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, he shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Jesus Christ is contemplated in Genesis 3.15. Jesus, the seed of woman, would come into the world and die for the salvation of the world and he would come into the world to make the church a reality. In Daniel, the second chapter in verse 14, Daniel predicted the coming kingdom when he said in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. It shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It shall stand forever. It shall stand forever. That was a prediction made about the coming kingdom or church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was in the days of those kings that John the Baptist came out of the wilderness of Judea preaching, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus in the days of those kings said, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 4, 17. It was in the days of those kings that Jesus said, I will build my church. And when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, his blood purchased it. Listen to Paul in addressing the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Take heed unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased. Now how did he purchase it? What was the purchasing power for the church? with his own blood. You see, when God saw that blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, the church was being purchased. In Ephesians 5, 25, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. Jesus died for the church. Picture him there on that cross, bleeding and dying because he loved the church. Sometimes people do not appreciate the value of the church. They do not appreciate the importance of the church. So some are even heard to say, give me Jesus, but not the church. 
That's like saying, give me the head, but not the body. Because he's the head of the church, and the church is his body. But the church is just as valuable and just as important and just as essential as is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ is just as important as the church. Because when God saw that blood being shed on the cross of Calvary, the church was being purchased. But then when God saw that blood on the cross of Calvary, that blood was for reconciliation. It was to reconcile men to God. In Ephesians, the second chapter, and verse 14, Paul said, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make of himself of, tw of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. We are reconciled to God by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that blood shed on Calvary was for reconciliation. But why is there a need for that reconciliation? It's because man is estranged from God. And that which causes the estrangement is man's sin. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 explain that so clearly. That it is man's sin, that it is man's iniquity that separates him from God. It is man's iniquity, that man's sin that will keep God from hearing him. See, sin is a separator. The cross is for reconciliation. And Jesus is the one who bridges that gap between God and man. We understand the term reconciliation when we think about maybe two friends have had an argument. Maybe they've been friends for years. And then someone steps in between them and uh, these two people who have at one time were very close friends, but now they are estranged from one another. And this person sits them down and says, you've been friends a long time, and we, we need to settle this difference that you have. And, and so he brings about a reconciliation between the two. And we understand what that means. And man was estranged from God. And the only way that a man can be reconciled with God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be reconciled by our own human goodness. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which 
we have done. But according to his mercy, it saved us. We're not going to be reconciled to God by, by material things. You can't buy your way into God's good graces. First Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know, that we're not redeemed but with, but with corruptible things, such as silver and gold. So how are we redeemed? The only way that a man can be reconciled to God is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Reconcile. We have redemption through that blood, Ephesians 1 and verse 7. We, we, are, we can be near God because of that blood, Ephesians 2 and verse 13. When God saw the blood, he saw a means whereby man could be reconciled to himself. But when God saw the blood, he saw an agent that could cleanse all men from sin. Revelation 1.5, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When does that blood wash away our sins? Listen to Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It's when as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a penitent believer in Jesus Christ, as a confessing penitent believer, that I'm baptized into Christ, Romans 6, 3 and 4, Galatians 3, 27, that my sins are washed away in the blood of the Lamb. You see, when God saw the blood, God saw the way for cleansing of the human family. This was the sacrifice. This was the agent to wash away our sins. Have your sins been washed away? Have they? Are you living a life now that you know is not pleasing to God? I'd encourage you to obey the gospel by believing in Jesus. And as I've already said, by confessing your faith in Him and by, by, by being baptized into Him for the remission of your sins, that your sins be washed away. Call us and we'll have some servant of God to baptize you into Christ. We want to help you. The blood is so important. God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. That's what he said to ancient, his ancient people in the Old Testament. And today, when he sees the blood, he passes over our sins. The blood of Jesus is important. I want to thank you for watching. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, 
Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.